everyone, Doug Lamarie's back with another Takes by the Lake. I was on vacation for a while, missed the last two weeks. I think the last thing I did uh, was an emergency Takes by the Lake when LeBron James signed with the Lakers. And here we are almost three weeks later, and we're going to talk about that some more. I have two great guests this week, Chris Manning from Fear the Sword and Scott Sargent from Waiting for Next Year. I, I like talking to new people I haven't talked to before. These are two guys who know the Cavs, who write about the Cavs, who follow the Cavs. Uh, we know you listen to the Wine and Gold Talk podcast on our Cleveland.com podcast network, where Joe Varden and Chris Fedor break all this stuff down about the Cavs and LeBron um, better than anybody in the world. This is a supplement, a complement to that. Um, me and other people talking about some of the same stuff. Maybe we have some of the same ideas. Maybe we have some different ideas. It's just more good Cavs talk. So I really appreciate Chris and Scott joining me this week. Um, make sure you're subscribed to Takes by the Lake and all of our Cleveland.com podcasts, Wine and Gold Talk, Cleveland Baseball Talk, Orange and Brown Talk, and, and that is really gearing up as we're getting ready for Browns Camp, um, and then Buckeye Talk, and we have a sponsor there now. So make sure you're listening to Buckeye Talk. And again, takes by the lake as we get into the cat into the excuse me in the Browns preseason. We're going to start leaning Browns again, but I wanted to dip in on this. Obviously, we're going to di- get into the uh, Indians in the weeks ahead too as they make uh, this playoff push. Um, but this week it's Chris Manning. You can follow him on Twitter at CWM Writes. That CWM W R I T E S. He's the uh, editor in chief of uh, Fear the Sword, and he and I talked about this idea, and then Scott Sargent and I talked about um, some of the same things, some of the different things. The main idea is, did the Cavs fail by only winning one title with LeBron James? Dan Wetzel, um, maybe the best sports columnist in America for Yahoo Sports, um, wrote this during the finals. This is not new. It was interesting then. I just wanted to use it as a jumping off point. He said, Um, The Cavaliers-LeBron era can be summed up in two words, the incompetence. And his main thrust was this. Around here, quoting from his column, Around here, they label their sporting failures with brief descriptions so they can be summoned and cursed quickly. The drive, the fumble, the shot. Maybe the greatest disaster in Cleveland sports history, though, is this one, the incompetence. The Cavs drafted LeBron James in 2003, and all these years later, it seems all they'll have to show for it is one NBA title. And that's it. We know that. That's all they got now. One in 11 years out of LeBron, uh, 15 years in his career. And I just want to say, I, I, I don't know if I agree with that. And that's what we talk about with Chris and Scott. Not everything the Cavs did with LeBron here went perfectly, um, obviously. But there's some luck involved there. Um, I am going to do this at some point, sometime soon. I, I want to look at the careers of Michael Jordan and LeBron James and flip-flop them. I want to take the kinds of things that happened to LeBron James and apply that to Michael Jordan and what that would have looked like if Michael Jordan never got a sidekick early on. If Michael Jordan decided, I'm going to leave Chicago and go somewhere and come back. If Michael Jordan never found the coach like Phil Jackson that could help bring that all together. Uh, And then I want to apply it the other way. I want to apply Michael Jordan's career to LeBron. 
if LeBron had gotten someone like Scottie Pippen as a sidekick early in his career, not getting Kyrie Irving for the second go-round in Cleveland, not leaving to go pair up with Dwayne Wade, but if he had gotten that organically in Cleveland, who that would have been, what that would have looked like. If LeBron James had gotten a Phil Jackson, what would that have looked like? Because I guess maybe those players had some control over that, but a lot of the context around Jordan and LeBron, they don't have control over. And here's the thing I think we need to remember. Michael Jordan, in his first six years with the Bulls, made the playoffs every year, but he won five playoff series in his first six years. And I think you can you can compare the, the first Jordan run, that six-year period in Chicago, which was building up to then winning the NBA Finals in year seven. Those first six years are very comparable to LeBron's first seven years in Cleveland. So Jordan made the playoffs all six years, won five total playoff series in those six years. LeBron did not make the playoffs his first two years, made the playoffs five of his first seven years, won eight series in those first seven years. So... More playoff success building up to something, but then LeBron left to go chase what what Jordan got, which was championships in the early middle of his career. Rather than thinking he could do that in Cleveland, because he didn't have a Scottie Pippen and because he didn't have a Phil Jackson, LeBron left seeking that and found that in Miami. Jordan got it in Chicago. So... Is that incompetence by the Cavs that they didn't find a Scottie Pippen, a Hall of Famer, a top 50 player in the middle of the first round somewhere to add him to LeBron James? Is it incompetence by the Cavs that they did not find someone like Phil Jackson who could bring out the best of LeBron James and nurture his career and build LeBron into a winner here in Cleveland as a partner? as a coach who who maxed out with a system and a, and a way of doing things in a culture that allowed LeBron James to thrive? Is that incompetence by the Cavs? Maybe. Is it bad luck? Maybe. Is it something in between? Maybe. But but I just, I don't know that I would, I would label it the incompetence to get one title out of, out of LeBron in 11 years. Um, I think there were a lot of things that were bad luck. Uh, a lot of it was just circumstance. A lot of it in the, in the last four years, we know, was just the Warriors. And so I just want to delve into that. I know a lot of you guys have already processed this. Like I said, I was I like basically started my vacation the day after LeBron made this decision. And, and I've been gone and now I'm back and I'm processing this now. And so I, I don't think it's too late to talk about it because we're going to talk about LeBron James forever. As long as there is not just basketball, but as long as there is sporting activity in Cleveland, we will talk about LeBron James. So I want to digest this 11 years, and I brought in two great people to help me do it. First, we're going to go to Chris Manning from Fear the Sword, talking about this one in 11 years, is that a failure by the Cavaliers? And then after Chris, we'll get to Scott Sargent. But first up, Chris Manning here on Takes by the Lake. All right, happy to be joined by Chris Manning, editor-in-chief of Fear the Sword, um, great site that covers the Cavaliers, 
um, from head to toe. Uh, Chris is a youngin, uh, but but he has um, been part of this LeBron era uh, as a journalist, as a as a writer, doing this kind of thing. But he also was just a kid when LeBron was here the first time around. So so he understands this loss of LeBron. And and Chris, when when you think about this now. Are you filled, and I like to give black and white questions in a very gray world, are you filled more with regret about LeBron leaving and his 11 years here, or filled more with joy for what uh, he and the Cavs did accomplish in his time? I, if, I think it's really hard to answer because I think there there's two there's two ways to look at it, and sort of, if you're, I think if you're an optimist or a pessimist basically i think if you want to to think about it in a, in a positive way i think winning that title will go down as as the if not the greatest cleveland sports accomplishment of all time it's they're going to be in the top two or three um and maybe if the browns are in a super bowl like that will beat that but that meant so much and like the the the, the what that meant and him coming back to do that meant so much at the same time Regardless of the context of the Warriors, the the roster building the first time, all the different issues he faced, and the the, the many problems this team had the last couple of years, winning one title in the time the Cavs had LeBron is is sort is not great because he could be the greatest player of all time. I think he's at, at in the conversation at the very very least, and only winning one with him it, it feels like a waste of of a talent you'll never likely get again. It is so unlikely that the Cavs will get someone that good and have them for that long and to come up with one title is not great. Like it, it doesn't reflect well on, on what the franchise is able to do with him. And that, in that sense, I think there has to be some regret in that you couldn't get more out of LeBron and, and make his legacy in Cleveland more than just that one title. The, the thing that I wonder about that, Chris, and, and I am um, by nature, probably a cynical uh, jaded person but but I am trying to allow myself and to, to encourage people to, to try to remember the joy of the LeBron era. By my count, 21 playoff series that he won uh, in his 11 years with the Cavs, made the playoffs 9 of 11 years. The, the thing that I, that I look back on, and, and we can get into the Kyrie stuff, obviously, but as, as you look at it, do you, is there a single failing that you think stands out um, in terms of the the move, the lack of a move, uh, maybe just a general um, plan or lack of plan? What was the greatest failing of the Cavs that that didn't allow them to maximize LeBron and win multiple titles with him? Is it some? Is it one thing that stands out to you, or is this just like sort of a general underlying? theme of them never being able to quite get it right for a lot of the years i think there and it's not all on the Cavs in this case because i think lebron certainly i think contributed to this but i think ever since he came back because i don't think this was really the issue the first time but i think when you look at the last four years i think that it's never felt as if they fully had their two feet square on the ground and were able to just like keep moving forward it always felt like they were teetering a little bit. They were dealing with just so much stuff that made the process of trying to win more complicated. You think about the first year, 
Um, David, I mean, the David Blatt experience was its own thing. And, and that's maybe not even a top five crazy thing that has happened since LeBron returned, right? You think about just how that, that ebbed and flowed in the, the fighter pilot comments and, and all of that. Um, you have the, the roster that just was clearly not going to cut it that first year. You have all the injuries the first year. You have all the drama um, of, of the various years. And then this year you have the, the, the amount of things that the team just sort of had happened, starting with David Griffin, then going to the Kyrie trade, going to the Isaiah Thomas situation, to the trade deadline overhaul, to, to Ty Lue, like all these things. It just never felt like the Cavs had stability and it never felt as if him and the and, and Gilbert and the friend whoever the GM was at the time were necessarily always on the same page as well. And that certainly, I think, is as much on LeBron as it is on on the Cavs and and on Dan Gilbert. But it, it to me, it just it was always uneasy. And and it's really, I think, hard to build sustained success when things are sort of on edge all the time. I don't know what you if you agree with that or not, but to me, it just feels like they were never firmly just moving consistently. It always felt like they were dealing with something that kept them off balance. Yeah, um, I, I I do feel like when we think about you know the great players in NBA history that have won multiple titles, you know Shaq and Kobe um, had each other, and Tim Duncan um, had David Robinson for a little bit, but then Tim Duncan had Greg Popovich, who is it's like you have two Hall of Famers there, right? And obviously the the Celtics when they won. Uh, all their titles. They didn't just have Bill Russell. He was the centerpiece, but they had Hall of Famers around him uh, all over the place. And and Michael Jordan always had Scottie Pippen when he was winning at the highest level and, and winning six titles. And I don't know when when you think about these these little mini dynasties that that center around great players. There's never just one guy. It's always at least two elite guys, whether it's two elite players or an elite player, an elite coach, the fact that LeBron didn't have that, and and he did have it to some extent for Kyrie, and that's what got him over the top, clearly, for the one title. The fact that, though, for most of his career, especially the first time around in Cleveland, LeBron didn't have that, is that a failing by the Cavs, or is it just bad luck? It's it's got to be a bit of both. Um, you know, I think you look at the you look at the draft the year after they got him originally. They took Luke Jackson, who I believe now is a college coach at a small college in Oregon, but had a really bad back and never became a good NBA, and never just became a real NBA player. He might have been really good and, and might have really fit LeBron well, considering the, the what we know about LeBron and having really good shooters around him, and that's what Luke Jackson was. But the pick before Luke Jackson, if I'm not mistaken, was Andre Godala. And think about getting a young Andre Godala on the Cavs back then with a young LeBron James and how good that would have been. Um, he had the Boozer situation, obviously, and... And you know the you know giving up a first for Yuri Welsh and and never and you know banking on guys like Jeff McGinnis and Eric Snow and, and Sasha Pavlovich, um, and then you look at this time you look you look at the group that they they LeBron joined when he came back. Yes, they drafted Kyrie, but that wasn't even their own pick. They they had that was the Clippers pick that turned into number one pick. That was luck to some degree. Tristan, I mean, worked out I think fairly well, but you had to hit that as well. You drafted Dion. You met you. I mean. Dion was a that pick did not work out. Uh, Anthony Bennett obviously did not work out, and it was just salary filler in the Kevin Love trade. The Wiggins, you had to get really lucky to get the pick and get the type of talent you needed to go get Kevin Love. 
I, I think there is like some luck of it. I mean, think about the guys that they drafted before LeBron, that if they would have been healthy, like Dewan Wagner would have been interesting pieces with him. <clears throat> but it also is a mistake. It also is errors on their part that lead to that. It's, it's got to be a bit of both, I think. The, the one thing that uh, I always think is so interesting about LeBron, and, and I'm very big on the idea, the idea of, it, not just in sports, but in, but in life, that you can't cut people up into tiny pieces and say, well, I wish I want to keep 90% of this person, but I wish they were 10% different, and then everything would be better, because you know that 10% you're cutting out makes, is part of what makes that person who they are. Do, do you think there's something inherent about LeBron in that he is so smart, he is so focused, he is so um, intent on controlling things that the thing, all the things that make him maybe the greatest player of all time, all those things that in a positive way make him who he is, are there also parts of it that contributed to his franchise, his team around him, maybe not being able to maximize and help him to the greatest extent because he is so intent on controlling things that maybe he makes things more difficult than they need to be sometimes. Is that just part of LeBron's legacy as well? I mean, I think he I think he definitely puts a pressure on a team. And it doesn't seem to be with the way with the Lakers right now, which is very, very interesting. But you look at the, the Cavs, they – they did not until they made the decision to pick Jetty Osman uh, from Turkey last year and get Dante's position and make that trade and really start thinking about life after LeBron with that Kyrie trade. They did not really prioritize developing young talent, right? They felt as if the best way to support LeBron, and I think there, this was a comfort factor for LeBron as well, is to get guys that can help right now. Um, last summer, they when they went Osman over, like going after Jamal Crawford, that was like a sign that, that they were pushing back on that a little bit. I think that, frankly, that's the right call. And I, but I do think there is something to that that like Bron, it's when he when he puts that pressure in an organization to going on now you do it because he might be the greatest player ever, but it does limit your scope. It does limit your flexibility to some degree. And I think if if there was just like a little more give and take there to me, or if the Cavs had had been able to put their foot down a little bit more maybe early on or, pri- or had pr- internally prioritized with LeBron you know, getting younger guys that you could develop and could have paid off in year three and continue to keep going, maybe this looks a little bit different. And maybe the, the roster that they end up with at the end of this year, you know, is a little bit cleaner and maybe a little more appealing to him because a lot of what they did was patchwork. I mean, right, like what they got was just the best thing they could get at the deadline to reset a, a kind of broken situation. There, there's two things at play here that I want to talk about, um, Chris, before we part ways. That are, that are two things that I think maybe wouldn't have changed no matter what, and but we I think we spend a lot of time um, thinking about what the Cavs could have done differently um, when maybe there's nothing they could have done, and, and it, whatever they did, it wouldn't have changed anything. One is the Warriors. Um, LeBron comes back. They're, they build a super team here with LeBron and Kevin Love and Kyrie, and you think... They're about to do. Um, they're about to go on a little run here, and all of a sudden, there is a dynasty in the NBA. But it's not the Cavs; it's the Warriors. It, again, is that bad luck? You know, a lot of times when we see when we see dynasties, usually, often, the best player in the league is leading that dynasty. It just so happened this time that 
the Warriors didn't have the best player in the league, but they had, you know, the guy who won two MVPs and was maybe the second best player and and two other excellent players. Then they added Kevin Durant, who now they have two of the three best players. Is there anything on some level did it maybe not matter what the Cavs did because if the Warriors are going to be the Warriors was that just bad luck that LeBron came back and ran smack into what may be one of the better dynasties in NBA history and to me again it's like if Michael Jordan if if Carl Malone and John Stockton in Utah when Jordan was playing had all of a sudden added Patrick Ewing or added Charles Barkley or done something like that and then maybe all of a sudden Jordan didn't change he's still Jordan but the context around him changed is there something about that that the Cavs and LeBron were helpless to some degree because the Warriors as it turned out were going to be the Warriors I I 100% think so because I I think there's a very good chance looking back at the 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 first year the 16 it would have been the 17 finals when the first time the Warriors had KD the Cavs' offense that postseason was incredible. It was their defense obviously had its limitations. That, that's one of the defining characteristics of the LeBron 2.0 Cavs. But that offense that that postseason I think was good enough for them to win the title. It was overwhelming. It was it was crazy. Kyrie and LeBron and Kevin could just get buckets whenever they wanted. They had all the shooting. If the Warriors don't have KD in that series, if they don't have the, the rooms, the, the 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 contract flexibility because of Curry and, and Clay and all and Draymond's deals and whatnot, and and they can get KD. I think there's a good chance the Cavs maybe win the 17 finals. I think there's at least a very good chance that they could pull it off because I think they were maybe they were better than the, than the 16 team to some degree. Um, I think that offense was just great, and I think and, and I I think Kevin Love is a Hall of Famer. I think Kevin Love is. Um, I think it's going to be really interesting to see what he's like in a post-LeBron world. I, I also wonder if you had gotten a, a Paul George type last summer when the Cavs were rumored to be on all these deals. If you get a guy like that, what is the, what does this season look like? If you didn't end up with Isaiah um, and, and Jay Crowder and these guys that you had to trade and you maybe kept Kyrie or you got Paul George, it was like Paul George and LeBron and, and Kyrie or at least LeBron and Paul George, what does that look like this year? And when you're a little more modern, a little more switchable, a little more you know, just fit the, the, this league a little bit better and fit against the Warriors a little bit better. What, is, what does that look like as opposed to, you know, going uh, – Kevin Love, again, is great, but he's a guy that is going to get hunted down on those series. And he's played great in the last two finals, but what does it look like if you just give LeBron a different set of support? Um, I, and, that, and that is also bad luck, too, because as far as we know, it was not something the Cavs did that, that made that deal not go through. It was the Pacers not wanting to trade Paul George in the Eastern Conference, as, as far as we can tell. Yeah. The second part of that then is LeBron and his desire to go to L.A. for reasons beyond just basketball as we see the move now. Um, You always sort of had that in the back of your head. Everybody, you know, you still have the idea. Well, there's a lot for him in Northeast Ohio as well. But with what LeBron wants to be, with the way the world works right now, LeBron in L.A. makes a lot of sense. Um, Obviously, the Cavs were not putting their best foot forward in the end. You know, they still made the finals, but but he was not leaving a great team in Cleveland. But, you know, we haven't necessarily, we haven't really heard LeBron, from LeBron yet about this. But in your mind, is it possible that just, as it turned out, all the things he did say when he came back, and, and he certainly said a lot of things along the way that made it sound like he was going to stay here for the rest of his career. But is it possible that 
if Kyrie was still here and, and, and he had never pushed to be moved and they hadn't made that trade, you know, that, that LeBron was going to go anyway because whatever Cleveland is, it's not the media capital of the universe the way LA is and maybe there's nothing Cleveland could have done to really keep him here. Is Is that something you believe or do you believe that the Cavs blew it by giving LeBron an opportunity to think about leaving because things here weren't going as well as they could have. I think I think the Cavs certainly didn't help themselves, but I, I, I think there's a lot to be said that maybe LeBron was just going to do this. Um, there, I think there you can just see like the, the 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 opening there for him to go to LA, where his for his you know from what we understand he. His wife spends a lot of time there. His kids have spent the summers there. They certainly, I think, have an affinity for LA. They maybe don't have the same like does like LeBron. I, I know like last year these like bat with Larry Nance Jr. about Revere and Saban and Saban basketball, I, and his kids are about to be in that age. It doesn't seem like there's the pull to them to Saban and Saint Mary the way there is for LeBron, who will always just you know be an icon there, but. It does seem like that pull to LA was just maybe unavoidable, and and maybe you know, maybe if they win another title, maybe if they would have you know won this year's title and or won, or just things played out differently this year, things are a little bit different. But it, it seemed like when this started breaking down and the Cavs started breaking down and having the cracks that they had, the pull to LA, the the, the ability to do what he's going to do out there to to be there to maybe court a free agent next summer to get other guys. I mean, that maybe the pull of that was just too real. And maybe just the, maybe there is just like the, 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 the comfort in, um, and maybe that this is something different for him too. Like, I mean, Magic Johnson and, and I think Tyler Tynes wrote the Today's Nation and so credit to him, but maybe the Magic Johnson's one of the few people that can actually still teach LeBron something, right? Like, I mean, what is there in Cleveland that is going to, Dan, Dan's not going to teach him that they don't have that kind of relationship. Maybe, having magic around is, is a, as a guy to teach LeBron about things that he doesn't already know who, cause he wants to be an owner. He wants to maybe do what magic is doing right now with the Dodgers and the Lakers. Maybe that is something that he, that is the type of opportunity he wants at this point in his life. Chris Manning from fear the sword. Uh, thank you for your time on this. I, 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 we could talk about this kind of stuff for hours and maybe we'll keep doing it and keep talking about it for hours because, um, just because LeBron's gone doesn't mean he's gone. You know, like he's not playing in Cleveland anymore, but he's an indelible part of the sports fabric in Cleveland, um, and he always will be. So I'll, I'm never going to stop talking about him, and I'm sure we're never going to stop writing and talking about him for uh, our employers either. So, Chris, thank you very much for your time, and hope we can uh, have you on Takes by the Lake again sometime. Doug, thanks, and, and anytime you want me, I'm here. All right, thanks to Chris Manning. Now we're going to get to Scott Sargent. Find him on Twitter, at WFNYScott. That'd be for Waiting for Next Year. Scott, find his work at WaitingForNextYear.com. Scott and I talked about some of the same things. We also got into the idea of the Cavs being in this position where they have neither LeBron James nor Kyrie Irving. And could that have somehow been avoided? And we we looked at the Kawhi Leonard situation and tried to figure out um, how the Spurs handled that and in the end, who, who wound up better? The, the Spurs traded Kawhi Leonard, wound up with a, a, a current star in DeMar DeRozan, a step down from Kawhi Leonard, but a win-now guy. Um, the Cavs, in the end, trade Kyrie Irving and end up with Colin Sexton, a draft pick that turns into Colin Sexton, a rookie, a young guy, a cost-controlled guy uh, that you don't know how good he's going to be. So we, we analyze uh 
Kyrie versus Kawhi, um, and, and and try to figure out you know what's going to happen with Kyrie and how will that affect how we look at um, the idea that the the Cavs lost LeBron and Kyrie in consecutive years. So um, some really good insight here from Scott. He's a very thoughtful guy. Um, really analyzes this thing in a really good way. So again, this is Scott Sargent um, for um, from waiting for next year uh, at. At, at WFNY Scott on Twitter, and he joined me um, to talk about the Cavs and LeBron and Kyrie on Takes by the Lake. Joined now on Takes by the Lake by Scott Sargent, the co founder of Waiting for Next Year, also uh, covers the NBA for Bleacher Report. He's he's just a maven. He's he's a little bit of everything, um, but he's he certainly has a big voice in Cleveland sports with what he does um, with waiting for next year. So, Scott, I, I, I just want to delve into all of this stuff because um, LeBron is gone, but he's not gone. He's never going to be gone. When he, he played a thousand games here, he played here for 11 years. He won a championship. He he'll never be gone. He he plays for the Lakers, but he's still always part of Cleveland. So, are are you more frustrated or a, a little uh, regretful about how things went down and 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 the what was accomplished and not accomplished in his eleven years here, or are you more, hey? You know, he made nine playoffs in 11 years with the Cavs. They won a title, four straight finals. What a great run that was. It was fun to watch, and everything has to come to an end at some point. So where are you on that spectrum? I am, I will say, I'm as a, as a fan of, of Cleveland sports and the Cavaliers, I am grateful um, because I was there at the parade. I, I was I was there for, for game six to send it back to Oakland to have to uh, – eventually win the title and that that experience will i i can't think of anything that will top it um i would be excited for a world series victory i would be excited for a super bowl victory um but that you know kind of breaking the you know proverbial curse for lack of better term um will will never be an event that could be taken away uh both in memory and and in capacity um if I have frustration, it is it is uh, from the first stint mm-hmm. that LeBron was here. Um, the the way that what the buzz saw the Golden State Warriors buzz saw that this this version of LeBron and the Cavaliers ran into is a historical franchise, a historical team, a historical organization. Um, to not get one in those with what some of those sixty plus win seasons under Mike Brown. I think will be the the bigger regret uh, if if it's even a regret on my end. I think you know the frustration is, you know they they they, they should have beaten Orlando. Um, they they probably should have beaten Boston. Um, you know you, you you could argue that some of the moves probably weren't very exciting. Maybe Danny didn't build the team as well as he should have. Um, but the one in eleven. Uh, is I I think the, the the one is huge, and the the fact that they didn't get one prior to LeBron leaving in 2010, in my estimation, is 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 the bigger fault than anything else. One of the reasons I wanted to talk about this was Dan Wetzel uh, from Yahoo wrote a good piece during the finals, which is forever ago now, but um, where he brought this up and he called it 
um, the incompetence. And he threw it in with the drive and the shot and the fumble and all the thes in Cleveland sports. And he called it the incompetence and the idea of having LeBron James and only getting one in 11. Do you think that's a fair characterization to, to look at it that way and that truly it is incompetent to not get multiple titles with LeBron James? I think that's a little unfair because I think there's a lot of bad luck, um, you know, as well. Uh, the, the the Kevin Love, Kyrie Irving injuries uh, early in, in LeBron 2.0, uh, you could argue, would have would have led to another one. Um, you know, if not for the substantial mismatch that uh, the length and spacing that the Turk Lou, Richard Lewis uh, incarnation of, of the of the Orlando Magic that they said it was just a, it was just not a good mismatch when you when when you when they built the team the way they did that time. Um, and then again, if the Cavs don't beat the Warriors in sixteen, do you know do do they get KD and then do they roll the way that they did those those next those next couple of years? So I think there's a there's a lot of moving pieces to blame everything squarely on the Cavs, you know, vis-a-vis incompetence. Um, was Larry Hughes a good signing? No. Was, was uh, you know, letting Boozer walk? No. A good a good idea? Uh, probably not. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of ways you could have said the Cavs probably could have manifested another title or two out of that 11-year run. Some of it was their own undoing, but a lot of it was just the the luck and unluckiness of injuries and the way that things unfold in the NBA on an annual basis. One thing I want to get into with you, Scott, is the idea that um, I I very much – I threw this out a couple weeks ago. I've talked about it before. I very much want – Cleveland or the Cavs or whoever would do it to to build two statues in Gateway Plaza, one of Kyrie making the shot and one of LeBron making the block to commemorate that championship. And now they're, you know, they're both not here. They're both, they're still playing, but they're not in Cleveland. So it's like, I start the statues. I'd start them tomorrow. Um, the idea that, that the two guys who made it happen, like they couldn't, they couldn't play together anymore, which led to the departure of one, and then the other one left anyway. That here we are, and Cleveland is left without either of them. Do you think that was avoidable? Should Cleveland right now have at least one of them? That maybe if LeBron was going to go to L.A., no matter what, possibly, that they should have been able to find a way to keep Kyrie around for a year, and now this would be Kyrie's team? Or did Kyrie just want out of here and you weren't going to keep LeBron from going to L.A.? And again, it's bad luck because that's sort of the double whammy of this, that they had two guys. They needed both of them to get over the top. And now here we are and they have neither of them. How, how do you process that? Is that a failing that the Cavs went 0 for 2 on keeping them around? Well, the the timing, you know, and again, you talk about the, the luck factor. The timing of the David Griffin contract situation uh was probably I, you, could, you could argue not very fortuitous right um that that said when it got to a point where Kyrie Irving threatens to have knee surgery um you know as the story excellently reported by your own Joe Varden um there there's there it, it became evident that there was not much repairing to be done in that relationship um you know, I've had a lot of individuals ask me, well, why didn't he just stay one more year if he thought LeBron was going to leave and then it could be his team again? But it was evident this team was being built to play around LeBron James, and Kyrie didn't want to be left holding the bag 
uh, when 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 all of that kind of unfolded and LeBron would leave, knowing that the team would be markedly different. And then you also have the rumors that Boston isn't exactly confident that they're going to be able to keep him around long term, and that that Kyrie wants to play in New York. So if you're if you're just delaying the inevitable, um, you know you you try to you try to move that for something. Um, you know the I, in, in my estimation the the grosser miscalculation is thinking Isaiah Thomas was going to be healthy again, um, and given given the 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 medical staff, the world renowned medical staff that this team has. Uh, and the facilities that they have access to, um, I'm not quite sure how that went down. Um, maybe it was an indication of that was, you know, it was that bad and the other offers were that much worse. Um, but it, it's for um, that trade to be kind of Kobe Altman's foray into into NBA GM-hood, um, you, you probably could have gotten off on a better foot. And And I think... Yes, you could argue LeBron was going to leave anyways, um, but you know I wrote I wrote a story not not too long ago. Um, the 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 mishandling of the Kyrie situation and not getting Paul George um, was were, were two gigantic dominoes <coughs> that led to a, a, a slur a, a flurry of cultural dysfunction um, that really manifested itself with that J.R. Smith rebound in Game One of the NBA Finals, and uh, and then at that point. Not winning that game, um, you know, it was almost a nail in the coffin for anything long term with having LeBron around. I do. I think that it, there's there's really two separate issues there, which is I think it's such an interesting discussion. One is, um, should they have traded Kyrie or not? Should they have tried to suck it up and make the two play together and and find a way to make it work? And then if LeBron left, maybe Kyrie would still be here. And then there's the other idea of, well, you had to trade Kyrie and you should have gotten a better deal. I don't know that anyone would argue against that. They did not get the most they could have gotten uh, for Kyrie Irving. That is for sure, especially when that Brooklyn pick turns out to be number eight and not in the top three. Um, But even, so I I do think it's, I like to do hypotheticals and it sounds like I'm making excuses for the Cavs and maybe I am. Maybe I'm just talking because it's a podcast and that's what you're supposed to do. If, if they would have gotten, say they would have traded Kyrie for Paul George, do you think it's possible, Scott, that in the end, um, LeBron maybe wanted to go to L.A. no matter what? If they, di- if they didn't win the title this year, if they would have gotten to the finals and lost to the Warriors with LeBron and Paul George, and that LeBron would have left and then Paul George would have, you know, he would have left too and they still would be in the same spot without a superstar and rebuilding even even if that would have gone down and maybe they, they would have had a better year this season, that they still wouldn't have been in a spot where they really would have had anything set for the future because they still would have lost everybody. Yeah, I mean, but that's isn't that kind of the point of contention windows, though? I mean, you, you, you very rarely can an NBA franchise perpetually compete like the San Antonio Spurs. Yep. Um, you know, they've had, they've had the Tim Duncan era. They've had, you know, now the Tony Parker era. You know, those 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 days are gone and now clearly the, the Leonard era, but you know, the teams compete and then they collapse and that's just the way the NBA works. Um, you know, you, you, you typically, and they, the, that's a steal a phrase from the very team that used it, but you go all in and you know, you can't, you can, you can't be, you know, kind of pregnant, you know, you have to, you have to, if you're going to put the chips on the table and that includes, you know, trying to acquire, a Paul George and and look at Oklahoma City. I mean, they gambled. They they dealt the guy who was uh, one of the most improved players in the NBA and an All Star, and then some young bigs for 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 
for the rights to Paul, hoping that they could sell him on culture and, and competition. And, you know, under the premonition that George was destined to go to L.A. Right. And, and having the opportunity to do so, he stayed in Oklahoma City. Um, you know, so that's, you know, you make that deal. And then it's up to you to, to, to use that whole season to sell them on the future. And if you can't do that, then, then you know, then you're, there's many more issues outside of making the wrong, the wrong trade or gambling or mortgaging the future. Um, but you could argue, given the dysfunction that has just found its way to this team over the last four years, it would have, that would have been an uphill battle in and of itself to sell, to sell Paul on a, on a long-term future here with or without LeBron. Um, you know, you know, he he was the man in Indiana, you know, fledgling around and, you know, you know, they, they got to the NBA or Eastern Conference Finals and lost to LeBron a couple of years back. And then they've just been kind of floating around, you know, in the mid tier of that of that Eastern Conference playoff picture. And if that's the high end of him staying in Cleveland, you know, do, can you sell him on something like that? Clearly, Oklahoma City did. Right. You know, they're they're not going to be, you know, what if, if everyone stays healthy, where are they going to top out at four? You know, and, right. and you know, in the in the Western Conference, but they made it. They made they did something to to sell him on that. So that would be up to the Cavs to do it. So yeah, hypothetically, you know, it's it's a huge roll of the dice, but it's it's one of those that when you make that deal, you're not done. Like that's just the start of of the acquisition, and you know, you have to use the rest of that time to sell him on why he should stay in Cleveland long term. Yeah, I don't I don't disagree with that. I, it would have been interesting. To, it would have been worth watching to see what they could have done would have been better than what they did. Um, you said about all in, and it's like, I feel like I'm going backwards, but going backwards is fun. And I, I want to rehash this with guys like you. In the end, that that obviously the Isaiah part, Thomas part of that trade was awful. That they got the Brooklyn pick. Was that a mistake to be worried about the future? Was that not going all in enough on LeBron to say, who cares about what future draft pick we get in a deal? We want assets right now that will be with LeBron James helping us win maxing out now was it a mistake to have a pick be a major part of of what they acquired in that even though now it's like now LeBron's gone and now at least they have Colin Sexton to maybe start to try to build around but was that a mistake in your mind that that they shouldn't have been worried about the next Colin Sexton they should have turned that either turn that pick into another player while LeBron was here or not ever make that deal with a pick like that as one of the centerpieces? Well, it's, it's tough when you don't know what the, what the opportunities were trade-wise, right? Um, you know, we can say that they didn't get a good deal from Boston, and clearly they didn't. Um, by all reports, Dan was in love with that Brooklyn pick. Um, you know, I don't know if he was aware that Brooklyn had no reason to tank this season. Um, or this past season, and that it could put that pick in jeopardy in terms of where it was going to fall in the lottery. Um, and, and and truthfully, by all indications, they really really like Colin Sexton. So there, you know, I don't think that was a, you know, I don't I don't think they're looking at that as a mistake. What I what I what I do know is that there was no way that they were going to be left holding the bag like they did in 2010 with that group of players that they had at that point in time thinking that Anton Jamison and Mo Williams could get them to the play back to the playoffs. Um, you know, that, that clearly was not going to happen. And, you know, they, they, that, that, that dose of reality hit them very, very quickly. So you, you, you keeping the pick, keeping Chetty, um, you know, not dealing, uh, eventual expiring deals in George Hill and, and, uh, uh, J.R. Smith, you know, keeping what, you know, these assets that will eventually free up another max slot, 
Um, yes, it was a hedge, but it was one that they were not going to let themselves have a season like they had where they lost, what was it, 26 straight? Um, you know, they, they were, they, they wasn't something they were going to be willing to endure. And if that meant, you know, losing LeBron, I don't think those moves, you know, force LeBron out. You know, it's, it seems yeah. more and more that that, like, the, the L.A. thing was going to happen regardless. And and kudos to them for seeing the writing on the wall if that was the case um, and, and not being willing to, you know, again, mortgage the future. You know, they dealt their own first-round pick. You know, yep. they, they were willing they were willing to move assets at the trade deadline to try and improve the culture of this locker room. Um, but they were they weren't going to go as far as as moving the pick that, uh, you know, that they, that they acquired for Kyrie, because when the writing was on the wall, that that the Isaiah thing was going to be a disaster. And Jay Crowder, who, I you know, I you could argue was equally as disappointing, if not more, because he was supposed to be the guy to take the load off LeBron to help guard KD, you know, check all the boxes of a, of a three and D wing. And you just couldn't fit find a role here in Cleveland. Um, they, that, that eighth pick was going to be the only thing that was going to save that trade. And not that you're looking to save face, but there's an element of wanting to save face from a deal that, you know, could could have gone to, from bad to worse. If you dealt it for something else that wasn't going to help you win the NBA finals, given how dominant the Golden State Warriors were. When you see how the Kawhi Leonard situation went down in San Antonio, and obviously I think there's everyone has drawn some parallels between um, Kawhi wanting out of San Antonio and Kyrie wanting out of Cleveland, even though not everything matches up. Which franchise do you think handled it better? Because obviously Kyrie, you know, had that threat of of basically sitting out much of the year with the knee thing, as you, as you noted, that our Joe Varden reported. And, and if they had kept him, maybe they would have been in that kind of situation that San Antonio wound up in where where Kai, uh, Kawhi basically sat out this entire past year. And they wind up getting not a young guy like Colin Sexton, but an established player like DeMar DeRozan. Wh- wh- which... Which franchise handled it better? Is there anything that the that the Cavs, in looking at what San Antonio did, would it have been better for the Cavs if they wound up with something like that, with the equivalent of a DeMar DeRozan right now? Or in the end, if LeBron is gone, if LeBron is going to L.A. no matter what, if you're the Cavs, would you rather have DeMar DeRozan or would you rather have Colin Sexton to try and start to build this around? How do you compare those two situations? If you're if you're rebuilding, you always want the cost controlled guy, right? I mean, just look at what the Indians did uh, in, in in their trade this 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 week. You know, they they got those two relievers who are going to be cost controlled for several years, and they kind of give themselves a little added flexibility in negotiations with Cody Allen and and Andrew Miller. Um, you know, so I, you know if you if you are if you are a believer in Colin Sexton, uh, and by all indications the Cavaliers were. Um, you know, if you're rebuilding, you know, and, 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 the, and the East seems to be locked up between Boston, Philly, and, um, you know, if you want to throw Washington in there, I get, you know, or Milwaukee's ascent, you could throw a couple other names in there. But between Boston and Philly, you know, those, those, those two teams seem to be kind of the, the guideposts for the East for, for the foreseeable future. I'm not sure DeMar DeRozan helps you much in terms of, in terms of getting over that hump. Yes, he's an all-star. Um, but can he play alongside Kevin Love? Who would be your point guard? There's a lot of quite he does does he space the floor? Um, you know, I think he was kind of I don't say victimized, but maybe, you know, the the true DeMar DeRozan as a as a regular season player versus a playoff player, um, I think has shown itself over the last couple of years. I, I mean but that said, 
um, you know, they they didn't just I they I've, San Antonio was probably playing with fire a little bit. Um, you know, don't it wasn't all that long ago that Lamarcus Aldridge wanted to trade. Yeah, and they and they were able to stem that tide and and make him realize and kind of buy back in. Uh, but it was clear that the 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 Leonard situation was much different. Um, it'll be interesting to see what he has to say um, because he is a man of very few words, and Kyrie Irving clearly was not was was willing to go kind of scorched earth on everything the Cavaliers did. And, 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 you know, throwing Ty Lue under the bus and throwing everything else, you know, you know, just lighting the entire thing on, on fire. Um, you know, it'll be, again, neither team is going to compete for a championship. Um, I, I don't see DeMar DeRozan uh, leading San Antonio past Golden State, Houston, even Oklahoma City. Um, and some of those other the Lakers are now yep. clearly going to be competitive. So, you know, I don't know. I think it's a sales pitch. I think you just have to get something back in return. The Cavaliers thought they were getting something back in return um, in, in Isaiah and Jay and that pick. And clearly the injury and the and the inability to fit, you know, kind of reared its ugly head. Where I don't think DeMar DeRozan has that uncertainty. You know what you're getting with DeMar, but you know it's also not going to be good enough. So yeah. it's, it's you're kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't. There, a couple things here, Scott, before I let you go. Two more at least I want to ask you. One is, to me, I'm not going to be able to get a final read on this era and, and how it ended. We, we know what the Cavs did, four straight finals, winning the title. That'll never be forgotten, what they did coming back from 3-1. But the way it ended, if, if you believe that maybe LeBron was going to go to L.A., maybe no matter what, who knows. Um, but Kyrie, I, do you think it's possible? I, well, I think it is certainly possible. If it turns out that Kyrie, and maybe Kyrie is going to be an all-timer, all-timer, have another 12 great years in the league, but I think it's also possible that he winds up being a guy who's kind of like a difficult-slash-bad teammate who has a bad knee. And maybe he ends up, you know, when he was here without LeBron, you know, you know, they, they were, he was young, and you can't fault him for that, but I, I, I don't know exactly what path they were on if LeBron wouldn't have come back, if Kyrie had been the guy the Cavs built around for years. If, if he turns out to be that guy, should we view the end of things here differently? That if it's like, well, you know what? They, it, losing Kyrie wasn't some great disaster because the guy's knee is, is problematic. It's a, it's a lingering injury that always keeps cropping up. And it turns out, like you said, maybe he'll leave Boston. Maybe he'll wind up in New York. Maybe he'll be one of those guys who scores a lot of points on a bad team. It, how much will what happens with Kyrie in the future affect how you will view what happened with Kyrie at the end in Cleveland? You know, I don't know if very much. Um, I, you know, the he hit the shot that won a title. I yep. mean, that's that's that that is that is that will be his legacy in Cleveland. Um, much longer than any of the quotes, any of the comments, any any anything else. Um, but to your point, two knee surgeries in, in three years is is typically not good for an NBA player, especially one who thrives on mobility and and, and getting to the rim. Um, you know, so it'll be it'll be very interesting. I think that he was not at Game Seven was very telling. Um, you know, for his you know. I, I standing, I think, with with 
Boston. That was not uh, great, man. Yeah, that was very. I can't think about that. Can you imagine if that had happened in Cleveland? If he was still with the Cavs and he didn't show up for Game Seven like that? You know, I mean, and that's a that's a compare him to Kevin, but Kevin Love. One of the reasons he said he resigned after that one year deal with with Cleveland was because he was on the bench for those finals and wanted to be a part of that. Um, you know, so yeah, I think that that was very, very, very bizarre, but I think very telling of kind of where Kyrie's heads at at, at, at most most times. Um, you know, I I will not use anything that happens as you know. This is just me personally. If he if he leaves Boston and ends up signing with New York, which a lot of people think will happen, um, you know, I are the Cavs better off because of it? No. Um, did they maybe potentially avoid? You know him just leaving and not getting anything for him. Yes, and 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 truthfully, I think Colin, how Colin Sexton performs, um, and it's 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 hard to read too much into a summer league performance. I think will help a lot in terms of you know maybe validating some of it. But for me personally, Kyrie Irving will always be the guy who had to step back over Steph Curry and 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 won a championship for the city of Cleveland and what he chose what he chose to do beyond that and what happened to his knees beyond that um you know it's 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 it none of it is was dependent upon what happened here in cleveland um you know did he you know were things great with him and Dion waiters and tristan thompson and that whole team no um but you know it, it was clear that uh you know he without him um that that parade would not have happened and again that's a you know tied back to the beginning um you know of, of, of this pod but that will be he, he will get his jersey retired, despite what Twitter says. He will likely get a statue, despite what Twitter says. And and you know, time time kind of heals a lot of these wounds. And you know, I, I again, I wish him luck. I wish him the best. I, I hope I hope he finds happiness because you know, quote unquote, that's why he wanted to leave Cleveland. Um, you know, but uh, none of that or whatever happens beyond that time in Cleveland will will have me view him any differently. I, I, I'm sure the statue needs to happen. The statue needs to happen. I'm not 100% on the jersey, but that debate, I think, has already taken place, as you said on Twitter. Final question for you, Scott. LeBron played 1,001 games in the Cavaliers uniform. He gave Cavs fans countless good times, whether people showed up um, to watch in person um, and thousands and thousands of people did to say, I saw LeBron James play in a Cavaliers jersey. People just watched on TV, just enjoyed having him on their team for 11 years. We're obviously in an era where so much in all sports is defined by rings and, and the quest for rings. Um, I think sometimes it can get lost that, you know what, obviously rings are the goal, but having fun and enjoying your team for months upon months upon months is worth a lot too. So in the end, how do you bring all that together that, that obviously it would have been great for the Cavs to win more than one ring while LeBron was here, but is it possible that in, in defining so much by championships that maybe we overlooked the fact that, you know what? Cavaliers fans got 11 years of having that guy in their uniform, and they had a great time for almost all of it. How much is that worth in the end, even if it only led to one title? Well, the, high, the highs were very high and the lows were very low. And, you know, that's that's the, the if there's an unfortunate part of being a sports fan, that's it. Um, you know, we, we, we don't necessarily choose our fandom. You know, it kind of chooses us. 
and you know, but you so you have to take you know, unfortunately, have to take the good with the bad. Um, and again, that, if anything is the most frustrating part, is because of how much fun that first incarnation of the LeBron Cavs had. I mean, think of the dancing and the pregame picture taking and all the the camaraderie that it looked like they had. I mean, they looked unstoppable, winning basketball games by wide margins, having fun doing it, and they looked like it was the happiest place on earth to be in their locker room. Um, until it wasn't, <coughs> right? And then that's where, you know, and that's where, you know, reality kind of rears its ugly head. Um, you know, I, again, the, the lows being the low, um, but you, you once everything settles out, you're going to remember you're going to remember the highs. That's, you know, that's, that's the best part of nostalgia is not necessarily what you remember, but what you forget. Mm. And, and I think, um, you know, once all that, you know, settles, there's going to be a lot of fans. There's, there are fans who, you know, tangentially were glad LeBron was back, but never really forgave him for 2010. And I think that's their own prerogative. Um, And those people will never be won over. Um, But, you know, that the era of basketball that we will no longer have in Cleveland uh, post LeBron, um, you, you, you'll, you'll grow to appreciate it much like Browns fans really, really grew to really appreciate the eighties because of what they've dealt with over the last, you know, decade plus much like how fans clung to the nineties Indians up until this last run because of what they had to deal with during the Maniacti years. Um, I think in time that this this LeBron era will be known more for the highs than it will the lows, and 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 it should be. It got it got Cleveland a championship, and and that's and that's you know yeah we could be greedy and say they could have gotten more, um, but there's a lot of franchises who who who, who tried to tried to win them in the '90s and ran into the buzzsaw that was Michael Jordan and the Bulls, and uh, you know you think of how good those Lakers teams or the uh, Jazz teams were with Stockton and Malone. You think of how good that Suns team was when when Barkley won the MVP. I mean, th- those teams were very, very, very good, mm-hmm. and they didn't walk away with one. And, and and Cleveland at least can say they did that. That was really profound, man. The thing about nostalgia, and it's not what you remember, it's what you forget. Is that a quote from something, or is that you making that up? No, you know, I read that back in the day, and it really stuck with me. There, uh, uh, old ESPN writer Jeff McGregor. Uh, wow. In a, in a oh, he's a good writer. Wrote, in, in a story he wrote. Yeah, he's a terrific writer. Um, you know, mentioned that in a piece. Uh, I can't think of who it was about. Maybe Leo Messi, um, <coughs> but uh, it was that, that. That that's always stuck with me, and I, I, you know, I think it's very, very apt when it comes to sports fandom. I think it is really good stuff, Scott. Um, I know people appreciate your work at uh, Waiting for Next Year and everything you guys do. Great insight on all of this. Uh, thank you for taking time out of your day to join me on Takes by the Lake, and I hope we can do this again sometime. Anytime, Doug. Glad to join you. All right. Thanks, Scott. And that's it for this edition of Takes by the Lake from Cleveland.com. I'm your host, Doug Maurice. One quick thing I want to talk about before I let you go. We do these podcasts, and we also decided that Cleveland needed a sports talk show. Now, this is not like a panel discussion show where it's like you sit around and say sports things. This is like a late-night talk show. But it's about sports, and it's about Cleveland sports. It has a band. (laughs) It has a monologue with jokes about Cleveland sports. It has guests sitting on a couch. And it has me sitting behind a desk. And I'm the host. And I will tell you that I think the greatest skill, maybe on TV, is, is the host of these live talk shows who sit and talk and make it look easy. 
Jimmy Kimmel and Ellen DeGeneres and uh, David Letterman and Johnny Carson and uh, Jimmy Fallon and Stephen Colbert and Jon Stewart and all the people who have done this at a very high level. Uh, I'm doing it at a very low level. I make it look very hard, um, but I did wear a sports coat and a tie and I did a monologue. So give it a shot. We had on um, um, Brad Grant, who runs the draft for the Indians. He was our first guest, and he talked about um, sort of life as a scout and how he found some of the Indians' best draft picks, Francisco Lindor and Jason Kipnis. And, and we, tried to, we tried to do like an interview like you would on a talk show. It's not like an interview that you would do like doing an interview to write a story. It's like hanging out. Um, we showed him some pictures of draft picks and had him talk about those guys. And then we had on Dave Lucas, who's the Ohio Poet Laureate, and he and I did sports poems. Um, and we talked about sort of the language of sports and how sports language is sort of a poetry of its own. Um, we have future shows lined up. Tyvis Powell uh, from Ohio State, the Bedford grad, uh, NFL player. He came by. We've we've you had him as a guest. We're going to have more people. We hope this is going to expand. Give it a shot. It's different. It's a little weird, but it's different, and I hope it's interesting. And I hope we'll get better and better the more we do it. So bear with us. Give us a shot. It's like 25 minutes. It's like a real show. We have fake commercials in there, sort of like Saturday Night Live stuff, like fake commercials. Um, Look for it on our YouTube channel. We have a Cleveland.com YouTube channel. We also have separate YouTube channels for the Cavs and the Browns and Ohio State. Um, but look for it on the Cleveland.com YouTube channel. You can type in Cleveland Sports Tonight, T-O-N-I-T-E. Or uh, you can find the post that put up. we put up. Just Google Cleveland Sports Tonight is here. Cleveland Sports Tonight, T-O-N-I-T-E is here. And it should pop up. You'll find it. It's out there. It's on YouTube. And, and listen, it's the I guarantee it's the only talk show, it's the only late night talk show dedicated to Cleveland sports. If there's another one out there, we're really in trouble. Um, so please try it. Try it and then tell me what you think. Tweet me at Doug Maurice at D-O-U-G-L-E-S-M-E-R-I-S-E-S. And I think maybe on the next episode, we'll read uh, some of the worst things that you guys had to say uh, about the first episode. So thanks, as always, for listening to Takes by the Lake. Thanks for listening to Buckeye Talk when I do that with Bill Landis and Tim Bielek, all about Ohio State. That's growing. Again, we have sponsors there now for the first time. Stuff is growing. Thank you for reading my stuff. Uh, I do this uh, Sunday column. Again, I've been off the last two weeks. We'll be back with the Sunday column both at cleveland.com and in the, in the Plain Dealer, third and short, dealing with all kinds of Cleveland sports stuff. Um, and we just appreciate you guys consuming our content because, again, that's how I get paid. So, thanks to Chris Manning. Thanks to Scott Sargent. Go find and watch Cleveland sports tonight. And thanks to you guys for listening. That was Takes by the Lake. We'll talk to you next time.